Hello, everybody, our wonderful listeners, our wonderful, faithful listeners, um, whom we truly value. It's episode 34 of The Media Beat. And as usual, I am joined by Maureen Kerr, who is the lead partner in the global practice for media for the world's largest, no, not the largest, very far from the largest, uh, small but perfectly formed, but the longest ever in existence management consultancy firm, Arthur D. Little. Hello, Maureen. Hello, Oliver. Hello, Claire. And hello, listeners. Oh, so you're saying hello to Claire first. I've got very few jobs in this podcast, Maureen, and just saying hello first is just just one of them. I said Oliver. I did, didn't I? Sorry. Oh, and then you said hello, Claire. I mean, you might as well just take over, take take over introducing this podcast. My job gets smaller and smaller every week for obvious reasons, as I am okay, by far the most knowledgeable. <laughs> hey, well, it's not fair, Claire. <laughs> I think we can, we can probably keep this in. I think this is fun. Uh, I will belatedly uh, say hello to Claire and give her an introduction. Claire is uh, a leading voice in the world of media. She has held many operations roles in very large firms. Look her up on LinkedIn. She's a commentator on media, but still is a practitioner, both as a consultant uh, and uh, taking roles in uh, very significant media companies. And I shall now say hello to Claire. Hello, Oliver. Hello, Maureen. Hello, listeners. Actually, I I, I disagree with myself now. It's nice that we all say hello to each other. So hello, hello, hello. Um, So we've got to crack on because we've got a lot to... uh, a lot to talk about, as as usual. But um, we're going to start off with one of um, Claire's world famous. Now uh, they were used to be just famous uh, in the uh, uh, in the continent of Europe, but now in I'd France. say they were. Yeah, exactly. At first, it was in a little village where she comes from. Now it is worldwide. Um, a deep dive. So what we're going to talk about is Disney, a firm we've all heard of, and Charter, a firm that most of us have heard of. But uh, Claire's going to uh, explain it all to us. Um, Claire, uh, could you tell us a little bit about the cable economy and specifically uh, the deal between Disney and Charter? Claire. Yes. Well, first of all, uh, I don't come from a little village, Oliver. I come from Paris. Thank you very much, where they probably have never heard of my world famous uh, deep dives. But I will attempt this one. Charter, you may not actually be familiar with it if you live in the UK or in fact anywhere outside the US. Charter is uh, the owner of Spectrum and Spectrum is a cable network. So like the cable provider. So if you're in the UK, you might be subscribing to Sky or Virgin Media, which gives you access to a number of channels. Similarly, in France or in Germany, you'll have your own local providers. Spectrum is the US one. The, the And obviously Spectrum uh, um, Spectrum carries a lot of the Disney channels, including the Disney Channel, but also including ESPN, which is the big sports channel for, for the US, and a lot of other smaller channels. And the, the Charter pays Disney enormous sums of money to carry them. Uh, this year, they were going to pay them $2.2 billion. And then they said, no, sorry, we're not going to pay that and pulled all the Disney channels of their uh, spectrum, which was of their of their cha- the channel carriers, which was a big move, and fairly aggressive. They timed it so that it wasn't during football season or just before football season, which uh, this is American football, so we don't really care. But still, it's a very important thing for American and uh, said, we won't, we won't put them back up unless we can get a deal. And the reason they did this is that for many years now, Disney and indeed all content providers in the US have been doing what people are calling double dipping. So they're getting all that money from Charter for their channels. 
but they're also getting money from subscribers for Disney Plus and Hulu uh, and uh, ESPN Plus in the US uh, for the same content. In fact, sometimes for content that goes first to subscribers and only in second place to, to people like Charter. And what Charter really wanted uh, was to be able to give Disney Plus and ESPN Plus and Hulu for free to their subscribers, which is obviously something Disney really did not want because they are desperately trying to make money out of their streaming services and having to give it away for free isn't the great way to do it. But uh, it's fair to say Strata won. It wasn't a complete slam dunk and they made compromises. Uh, but there was a 10-day blackout, and they have 15 million subscribers spectrum or charter, so that's that's quite a lot of people. Uh, and in the end, uh, there was a compromise made with Disney, which really redraws the line, and this is why this is important, between content providers or channel providers and cable networks, in that the Disney Plus, the basic, the ad-supported offering, which we've talked a lot about, will be provided to customers who have the Spectrum TV Select package. So that's, that was their big ask to start bundling streaming services together with cable channel, and they got that in. Uh, and in equally, the ESPN Plus, their ESPN streaming service, which is going to be launching soon in the US, it will be uh, made available to Spectrum TV Select subscribers uh, at launch. Uh, the other thing that's happening that has happened quite quietly is that is that uh, Disney has removed a lot of their what I want to kindly call filler network channels from the deal. So there were a lot of channels like you know that's Baby TV, Disney Junior, Disney XD, Freeform, FXM, FXX, Nat Geo Wild, and Nat Geo Mundo. Those will those were channels that really were about niche interests, which have really been replaced by streaming these days. It, it, the Spectrum was very happy not to have them. Disney was very happy to still be able to broadcast them. They cost money for uh, the cable provider to, to broadcast because they take up space in, in, in their inventory, etc. And so the fact that Disney has agreed not to push their smaller channels and, and to take a step back on this is also very interesting. Uh, so I think Overall, this really redraws the line between cable providers and content partners in the US and probably will lead to a lot of similar deals. Now, before I hand over to Maureen for more information and more analysis, I should say that outside the US, for instance, in the UK or in France, this has been happening for many years. In fact, Sky bundles their streaming. When you have a Sky subscription, it comes bundled up with a number of streaming services. Virgin Media has been doing that for many years as well. In France, Canal Plus, OCS have had bundling services that include both cable channels and, and streaming services. So this, this whole uh, double dipping scenario was really very specific to the US and spoke to the power of, of big content providers in the US. And I think what we're seeing here is a, is a, is a sort of re-establishment of, of or a redrawing of the lines between those two types of players. So that's me. Over to you, Maureen. Yeah, I, I guess I guess in all this uh, superb analysis and superb summary, so thank you, Claire. That really does uh, does does shed light on on the situation. I think if you, from a forward-looking perspective, I think what the two things that I take away from this is um, how Disney in particular is struggling 
struggling to really realize its, uh, let's call it direct-to-consumer strategy. So Disney, for some time now, wants to become a retailer. Um, and, you know, it has always been a wholesaler. And by that, I mean, it is working with, you know, these partners, these intermediaries, these, you know, uh, these platforms uh, to really reach the end consumer. And um, of course, Disney Plus is all about that. It's basically to take all their marquee programming. They've been shifting that between cable operators, different platforms to their own platform, their own platform being Disney Plus. And they're just not uh, as uh, on an accelerated path realizing that strategy. And I think the most significant thing here is they need partners. They need reach. They have not been able to establish, and it's not just them, there are other providers, you know, uh, not been able to provide uh, you know, that level of, uh, let's say, customer focus or customer contact. Now, we can discuss whether or not they have a better means to do that through theme parks, for example, which we can touch on a bit later. But nonetheless, I think it, it, it does underscore this fact that you ain't there yet, Disney. You know, you haven't, you need the reach. You haven't got that, um, that ability to go it alone. You know, unlike Netflix, which effectively says, no, I will retain that relationship with my customer. I'm not going to make sure, I'm not going to make sure, you know, I'm not going to enable any of my competitors to get access to my customer. And they've been able to do that successfully. Nobody has yet been able to do that in a streaming environment. So, so I, I think this is, this is really clear that Disney will definitely still have these relationships, you know, with these aggregators. And as we've seen, you know, Sky has been able to do that in Europe. Charter clearly is, you know, putting its uh, flag in the ground and establishing you know, itself as an intermediary in, in the US. And, and, and I guess the second thing is um, these carriage deals, you know, they are going to carry on. Uh, they may not be called carriage deals. And in fact, if we replace the word carriage deal with ad inventory, and paid for consumers, you know, um, I think that would be the negotiation and set of negotiations going forward. So I think this is a really interesting time to see how we're the shifting of power between, you know, owners of content and the pipe and the pipeline, which has always been the case for the industry for the last 50 years. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting one. Let's see how it pans out. But Disney is definitely, you know, still saying and suggesting you know to all that it needs that reach and it needs that platform and charter gives it an extra 40 million plus you know some new subscribers or new potential audience uh, set of audiences so yeah that's that's my take on that claire i don't know what uh, what you think of those other observations as part of your own sort of thesis around uh, the charter saga um, yes, I I agree with all your points. I think it's 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 very good point that you made at the end. That probably actually in, we know that most of these subscribers will be new, new subscribers to Disney. So Disney is not really the loser in this equation. Although those subscribers will have a lower ARPU, and we know they've been trying to drive their ARPU up, they'll still be around, and they'll probably have a very low churn as well, which will be positive. So there's there's a lot in there that still benefit Disney. But I think it's worth saying that the ones that are benefiting in the long term and that we're being a little bit screwed over by uh, the industry are the viewers who were being who were paying twice for something that they didn't necessarily want uh, or certainly didn't want to pay twice for and I think that, that this is also quite critical at a moment where 
uh, consumers of content are looking at the amount of money that they're spending on content, the fact that they will start recognizing that actually if they have a cable subscription and a streaming subscription, they're essentially paying for the same content twice, that it is the moment where the industry has to offer them solutions that are better value and that's what's happening. So that's, that's I think, a very positive sign for, for all involved. Thank you very much. Uh, excellent stuff. Great analysis. Um, double dipping. That's a that's a metaphor from uh, dipping Doritos into guacamole and other dips, uh, if I understand it correctly. Which is something that is formally forbidden in the Tavernier household. I have a husband that is strongly against double dipping. This is this is a matter that could lead to very very strong uh, family strife. So no, we no, don't definitely. do double dipping. It's mentioned in court <laughs> often in, in domestic uh, domestic disputes. I'm completely the same. Uh, also, even just getting a massive dip as well and using uh, a Dorito as a shovel also is uh, is, is looked on um, with great disdain in our household. Thank you uh, very much, Maureen and Claire, for explaining that. It makes perfect sense now. And again, uh, something that you're no doubt going to keep an eye on. Uh, talking of keeping an eye on, uh, we've been keeping an eye on the news, uh, which leads inevitably to the next section, which is, of course, in the news. <laughs> So first up, um, Maureen, I'm going to come to you. It's potentially good news. Uh, my son is in the industry and he's been worried because he's young and just starting out about how the writer's strike is going to affect him. He works for an FX company, of course, downstream. Uh, if the work doesn't come in, he might be in trouble. But uh, we've been exchanging messages and it seems that there is uh, more than a breakthrough in the writer's strike. More on that story from uh, Maureen Kerr. Maureen. Yeah, hello. Um, after 146 days of striking, um, both sides claiming victory, of course, um, uh, the, 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 the writer's strike is, is over, albeit subject to ratification from the Guild itself. But um, yeah, I think and then we just need to sort of wait to see uh, how the actors' um, negotiations pan out. But nonetheless, uh, it is over, which kind of like, you know, helps um, helps certainly protect, let's say, the production slate for 2024. So this is a bit of a, you know, this is, this is, this is problematic in terms of, um, well, it's a nice resolution, uh, but there it's problematic for, there's a race now to get the production sorted out and uh, get going without actors. So um, so the writers and the comedians will be back on screen. Thank you very much. I want to see my Stephen Colbert and my Zeph Myers. So I'm very happy Bunny myself as well, alongside your son, um, Oliver. But I, but, I, but I guess that the standoff was always around, you know, the, um, the residuals, uh, AI and staffing. And we understand that there's been movement, you know, so much so that, you know, the writers are feeling a bit more comfortable. So we get... Um, I think minimum staffing, uh, my understanding is, the information not out there, I think this is slight speculation and a few leaks, uh, my understanding that residuals will be based on some form of consumption, consumption patterns, um, and then there's some some broad protections against sort of agency around AI. So we'll see how that pans out towards the next week or so, I think that that, that information will be released. But I guess fingers crossed for um, the writers to, uh, sorry, the actors to get what they're looking for as well. Um, going going forward, and we'll, we'll we'll see that resolution in the next couple of weeks. We think, we hope, um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been long, it's been long and drawn out, but yeah, um, I'm I'm pleased for the industry that we can get going and uh, figure out what 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 we can do in 2024. 
Yes, it's it's very good news. It's interesting timing. Obviously, uh, you can see that the studios have somehow magically decided to resolve this just before their um, their new earnings come out, and uh, with a very strong signal from the market that they'd better sort it out, which is good. That's what the market is for. Sometimes it works. Um, it has been very long. Uh, the industry in the UK will be uh, breathing a huge sigh sigh of relief because it's been very tough for people here who weren't striking officially, although they were very supportive of their American colleagues, but still weren't working because so many of the American productions have, you know, either shoot in the UK or use UK uh, actors or writers. So, I mean, we know that in the UK, uh, for instance, the film and TV charities had 800% increase in, in people, in freelancers asking for financial aid over the last few months. So that's how people people can't pay their mortgages anymore. So that strike, the length of that strike, I think it's easy to think about big numbers in studios, et cetera, but it has had a real huge human impact, both in the US and in the UK. And um, at least the US, <laughs> the US writers got something out of it. But um, anyway, it's very, very good news that it's all going back in. And yes, I agree, I think, I hope, but I think that the right to strike will, the actor strike will, will follow suit relatively quickly now that a framework has been established. Great. Always good to report on good news. Uh, con congrats to the writers. Yeah, nearly six months or getting on for six months of no income. I don't know many people who wouldn't wouldn't struggle under those circumstances. Uh, good on them. Uh, okay, thanks for that. Next story. So um, this is sort of a, a watershed moment rather than uh, big news, but it's interesting to talk about anyway. So um, ad spend passes through the one trillion uh, I'm assuming dollar, the one trillion uh, dollar um, ceiling, which is incredible. Um, Claire, can you just can you just confirm what the scope of that is when we say ad spending? Um, exactly what are we talking about and the significance of um, of going through that one one trillion barrier and where it's going to go next? It hasn't yet. It's it's forecasted to do so in 2024. This is global ad spend. So the, the entire world. Uh, the, I mean, the, the, the one trillion is an interesting number, obviously, but the really good news for many is that it looks like the global advertising slump, which has been going on for, for a year, is starting to, to, to disappear and the numbers are starting to pick up. So Walk, which is uh, an industry body, has um, published new stats and they're expecting global advertising spend to grow at 4.4% this year, 2023 another 8.2% in 2024 in a context of lower inflation as well. So that's very good news and shows um, an, an increase in activity. And that's when it possibly will reach 1 trillion, which is obviously a crazy number. Uh, it will be boosted. The US presidential election is definitely going to help. The Olympics. I mean, there's a lot going on next year, which will help the uh, the men, the Euro, the football, uh, UFI, Euro competition. Uh, and just generally people feeling more positive. Uh, so I think that's that's very good news globally and people will be breathing a huge sigh of relief, but it's slightly less good news in the UK. There is a little bit of a, of a uh, rebound in the UK as well, but it's less so than globally. And it is just a general feel that the UK ad spend is a little bit less solid and recovering a little bit less quickly than global ad spend or indeed than ad spend in, in comparable countries, which is not great news for the UK market. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah interesting. What a massive 
number. Anyway, like you say, it's global. Okay, uh, moving on. Our next story is about um, economic regulators. And we've got one from the EU and one from America, which is a nice balance. (laughs) Claire Claire always has, I think, um, a better positioning uh, statement, set of statements around regulators, given her history of growing up in France. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I see. It's all coming out now. Well, uh, listen, I, I, I have, um, having grown up in France, I have a healthy respect and some healthy cynicism around regulation. Uh, but I think there are two, there's two different things here, uh, which are happening in parallel. Uh, there is the, what's happening in the uh, EU Digital Marketing Act, which is really, uh, trying to force 22 um, service providers, and we're talking, you know, uh, Facebook, WhatsApp, um, Apple, et cetera, to, uh, to have much more interoperability of uh, their platforms. So, you know, we should be able to send a WhatsApp message to an iMessage, et cetera, and just forget, forget these walled gardens, which are a way for platforms to keep their users, keep their user data, um, and uh, earn more money. Uh, so that's that's something, and the EU's always been quite successfully trying to push back against the US dominance, world gardens, etc., and has made has has had some success in changing things. Now, what's happening in the US is slightly different, and I think you know this is my cynical hat on. Much more uh, political. So there are currently lawsuits in the US against uh, Google or Alphabet and Amazon. And uh, a lot of this is, is, well, it's possibly about, you know, sending signals to electors in a presidential election, whether this will uh, actually happen in the timeframe that we have. We don't know whether it will happen if Trump wins, which is a real possibility in the US. We probably think they will not. Uh, so this is also Biden saying, you know, if you want this sort of thing to, to still be controlled, you should keep me in power, etc. So there's, I don't know how much will happen. It's, I, something may well come of it. I see it more as a signal to the, to the electors. I am more interested, it will be a slow burn, but I'm really interested in, in figuring out what will come out of the EU uh, Digital Marketing Act. Actually. Thank you, Claire. Yeah, that, that is uh, no, interesting, interesting stuff. Um, linking into the uh, larger political landscape. So interesting. We'll probably, um, I don't want to say it's going to run and run because uh, it's becoming a catchphrase, but we will revisit that story from time to time in the future. Uh, thank you both very much. And education as ever. That was In the News. So moving on swiftly, we have, oh, we have, we actually have quite a few Podmojis um, and I'm excited to report, although maybe it should be a surprise, but uh, certain props that are in the background, which might come into play. Stay tuned for Podmoji. For the record, uh, Claire is, I don't know, it looks like a teat, but it probably isn't a teat. It's no. a light. It's a red light. You can't really see it, to be honest. Oh, it's, it's a light. A red okay. Light. Cool. I'm going to and, use it as a red flag. And the duck. Uh, which we can call Donald after Trump. Uh, so Donald after Trump. No, Donald it's not. We can't it's call not. It, no. Let's not call it Donald. <laughs> Donald Trump duck. No, we can't call it Donald. Okay, fine. No, no, no. Okay. And uh, a pair of, it looks like 3D glasses or uh, Roy Orbison's glasses taken off his 
uh, face. Yep, Roy Orbison's glasses. Okay, let's start. Um, I am going to go to Claire first um, this time. And the Podmoji 4, oh yes, of course, uh, Disney theme parks. Oh, Disney theme park. I mean, the dog has to come out with his crash helmet. Uh, yes, it, Disney is investing a lot of money, I think $60 billion in theme parks. Theme parks have obviously been the one area of its business that's been driving the growth and providing the cash for the rest of the business. So you can see why they would want to invest. There's definitely, you know, a lot of people are going back to theme parks after the pandemic. There's a sort of renewed energy behind that. Market did not love that strategy. They see it as a distraction. They don't think it's core. They're having issues with, you know, the money that's being spent. So my little dog is going to look a bit sad. Look, he's sinking. Oh, yeah, there down he goes. Yeah, good. It's such a um, versatile prop, that duck. It can pretty much do anything. It Uh, does everything. I can remove the helmet as well. It's got a removable (laughs) helmet. That's that's extraordinary. what can't it do? Uh, Maureen. So I'm giving the Gallic sh- shrug. It's right. like, ah, really? It's all I about France this week. It's all about France this week. It's like, like I, I, look, I can see the, um, I can see why potentially they are doubling down on theme parks. I mean, it, it, theme parks, you know, contribute or has contributed significant, uh, significantly to the bottom line. By that, you know, my, the revenue is probably only a, a third or so but in terms of profitability it's like around about two thirds however it's just not enough so you can't just come out and say i'm going to invest in our core legacy business um there are other things that it needs to do and, and i think frankly with the losses that it's um encountering through disney plus um it's not really going to move the dial overall with the significant investments in theme parks. Now, if you're looking at a 10, 15, 20 year horizon, maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's interesting, but there are too many other things that Disney needs to get right. Um, and this is just like part one. So I can see why the markets have been sort of um, um, a bit sort of down in the doldrums about that, because it's just, you know, we're expecting more. I think the market was expecting more from Iger, not simply after two years or a year and a half of saying, strategizing, I'm going to turn this business around. Oh, yeah, right. Let's double down on our legacy theme parks. Yeah, yeah, just not good enough, mate. Yeah, you need to do a bit more. And I think that's what the market said. And that reflected in the, uh, the share price. Yeah. I've just got this image of Bob Iger, aged about seven, coming up to your desk and you're his school mistress, Maureen, telling him, not good enough, Iger. Look at this. Double down on theme parks. That would be terrifying. Four out of ten. See me. Uh, And I'll be telling your mother if you don't come up against, if you don't come up with something slightly more uh, um, fundamental than that. Uh, Thank you, Maureen. Excellent. Very good Gallic shrug as well. Seeing as you're dressed all in black today and have un peu de Marcel Marceau about you. Um, And there we go. And she's now in a glass box, which is (laughs) moving randomly. Sort of very sort of fluid. Glass box made out of cling film. I will stay with you, Maureen, and I would like uh, to you to pop mojiize. Yes, this breakthrough is well, maybe a breakthrough. Uh, Amazon, Amazon, Amazon Alexa, whom I talk to often. Uh, she's the only one in the house that's that's talking to me at the moment. Um, Gen AI, Amazon, uh, Amazon Alexa. Oh yes. Right. Okay. So I'm doing um, the ear. For people I'm doing the ear listening. voice. It's, yeah. It's, it's, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. So that's my pop emoji listening. Yes. Yeah. So, so Amazon. Amazon's basically doubling down 
on AI for Alexa and Alexa devices. So uh, I'm glad I'm in uh, a separate room from Alexa. She's in the other room or it's in the other room. Um, otherwise, it'd be talking to me. So apparently it's invested quite significantly in a new set of devices uh, that will be more conversational, uh, that will be let's chat. Um, so um, I, I, I can't wait, but I think my, my, my Alexa does need an upgrade. So I will probably invest myself and see what that, that, that does. But I think a lot of the AI stuff is looking really fascinating and interesting around personalization and also voice. Uh, so it'd be really interesting to see what Amazon's come up with. So I'm a kind of like, mm, yeah, that's not bad. And can't wait to hear and see it. She's smiling and um, proffering an ear. It's funny that uh, when you say you need an upgrade, um, I, I just, just assumed it was just software at the back end. And therefore, you don't need an upgrade of your device. It's just upgrading back. I don't know. Back end ways. Oh, is it? I thought it was the hardware, but I wasn't sure because it said rollout of generative AR in Alexa speakers. So do you mm. think it is just a simple software upgrade rather than my, my Luddite-like yeah. approach, which is I, I need to go and buy a new speaker? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure because the, all the clever stuff will be done at the back end centrally. It's connected to the Internet OVS. So you say something to it and it, it answers more intelligently, which is why you get uh, you get more of these, what are they called? Charms. No, not called charms. That was Anyway, that you get more functionality as time goes on. Anyway, I'm might be wrong uh it has happened thank before thank you <laughs> thank you very much oliver that says no, me I'm go out finding a new device yeah <laughs> uh, well i hope so yeah i mean if it doesn't i'm sorry i'm claire i am interested because uh actually i had the impression that smart speakers smart speakers weren't being used as much i never use mine it's mostly being used as a listening device by the russians is my impression but i or you know the americans but i uh, I, I don't know i don't know what ai will do in alexa that is going to change my life i actually was more interested to hear i was at a dinner last night and everybody was so excited about microsoft copilot which they've just launched which is integrating AI into Microsoft applications at work. And a lot of people around the table were in the tech industry and they were saying that their teams had been using it for a few weeks already and that it was really, it was really helpful. There was a lot of energy around that topic, more so, I think, than I've heard around Alexa. So I don't know. I'm still slightly, I'm slightly skeptical about Alexa. I was an early adopter. I had one very early on. And, I just don't use it. Uh, I use it quite a lot. The, the thing I find is, maybe it's because I'm British, if I say tet a, set a 10-minute timer, I can't stop myself saying please. So why am I saying please to a, basically a robot? Uh, and then if oh, I say... I always say please to Chad GPT. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? You just say... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I can't stop myself. 10-minute timer set where it just feels wrong. It's like, Alexis, she's not my slave. You know, she's like my assistant. I still use her a little bit, but I like you say, the use cases are very, very limited. There's nothing like turn on my living room lights. Why would, why would you do that? Just go and turn them on. It's, uh, it's a little bit bizarre. Uh, anyway, let's see, uh, let's see why what happens. Why are you always women? I don't like that. I changed yeah. a friend of mine. Alexa. Um, it wasn't Alexa. I called it Jeff. Um, yeah. Oh, and I like that. Calling it. Jeff, you can call it Jeff. You can call it anything you like. You can reset it to 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 whatever. You can't call it you Oliver. Choose. Oliver, yeah. please. <laughs> well, it, yeah. that would be very similar Oliver, to real life. Yeah, that's right. You just no, say, no, and I do. Bob. I'm going yeah. to call mine Bob. Bob, Bob of Bob. course. Oh yeah, like Bob, Bob Iger. Yeah. I might call my uh, our managing partner's name. I might call my Nick White, uh, Maureen. Uh, just uh, so that I, can, I can I can feel I've got some authority. I hope he doesn't listen to this, or I'm probably fired. Um, okay, so uh, thank you. Yes, that was good. <laughs> so good. Next thing, I am going to stay with Claire, 
And yes, yes, indeed. Meta WhatsApp ads, Claire. Oh, yeah, apparently. But this is something we've heard several times before, and it's not happened, whether Meta was going to start putting ads in WhatsApp. They've said again that they were going to start looking at putting ads in WhatsApp. It makes sense. They need a business model for WhatsApp. WhatsApp for business, I don't... I mean, I actually, I think WhatsApp for business is generating money for them, but I think they're just actively trying to monetize their user base and that advertising is what they do wait and see it's been mooted before and i feel like they're always backing off at the last minute so i'll be curious to see whether they go ahead with it going to have an uncertain ducky that's my even does uncertainty he does subtle emotional expressions that's amazing maureen yeah he does he does look he's very oh oh little bless him i'm gonna use i'm gonna use claire's i'm gonna use claire's Mm, not sure but it's it not yeah, sure. the index and yeah, thumb fingered uh, are supporting it, her head, I, and she's looking quizzical. Yeah, I, th- I think it'd be very intrusive. So, if they're making money on what's that business, you know, let the consumers be subsidised. Um, I don't want any adverts personally. No, definitely not. So, I mean, even more than quizzical, I think you should. I think you should almost look a little bit bit cross actually about that. Um, yeah, there you go. Lovely. Oh, golly, yes. Well, fact, you can't you... give stage directions to pot mojis, Oliver. <laughs> yeah, there's no rules. Stage directions, Oliver. There's, there's no rules. No, this is the Mornington Crescent of uh, media. There's no, there's no rules. There's no rules. Uh, but uh, maybe we should set some. Maybe we should uh, like. Uh, Association football. No, no, let's not have of, any rules. We like very, no rules. It's 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 virtually anarchy. It's very 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 uh, non dangerous yeah. anarchy. Um, Donna Langley comes next, and Donna Langley, I'm going to get to you, uh, Maureen. Oh yes. So so as as we spoke earlier about the uh, the writers' strike. Um, so the top negotiators that were at the table. Let's not mention those folks and those companies that were not at the table. Uh, but NBCU, uh, Netflix, Amazon, and um, Warner Brothers Discovery. They were all at the table. And Donna Langley, who is a chief creative officer and a Dane, so she has British mm-hmm. heritage. Uh, she, uh, she, she she's British. She's, not, she's got more than British she's, heritage. She's British. Is she British as well? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she, because um, you can become a Dane um, or a Lord uh, uh, without being British. You can, but she, but uh, yeah, Donna, so she, she's definitely, she definitely uh, yeah. Lord, uh, oh, so the Canadian publisher, he became a lord. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, so big smile. Donna Langley was given a lot of credit uh, as the one of the chief mediators that got this uh, the writers' strike negotiations over the line uh, to get it resolved. So applause. So applause. Donna, yeah, well applause and a smile. So, the the Mo Molum of uh, the writer strike, uh, Claire. Yeah, no, that's it. I think it's brilliant. Uh, she, uh, I don't, I did not know about her before, but I'm delighted to see that she's uh, she's the first British female to run a major Hollywood studio. You will be happy to know. I think that I'm not entirely surprised that it will be a European woman breaking the strike. I have to say, <laughs> the, uh, this is my own French cynicism going again. But good on her, and now we can go back to uh, working and watching. So I'm very happy to hear that. It's a very nice story. If the, if the, if the, uh, head, the headline would be European woman, not surprised to see European woman doing something great. I think that's the headline. Okay. <laughs> that is uh, basically the headline, yes. Totally good, good for... Um, and I think we can say European even after Brexit. Yes, probably. I am still European. I know you are, Maureen, 100%. They won't take that away from us. Um, without being too political. 
Ah, je suis un European. Uh, oh, here's, here's, a, here's, here's one next. Here we go. Light the touch paper. And I will start with Claire with a Mr. A gentleman I've met, actually, and worked with, Mr. Russell Brand. Mm, Big pause. What's my... Well, I think I don't want to get dragged into the Russell Brand story as a, its personal story. I think what it indicates and what some of the stories recently have indicated was that certainly there was a lack of systems and processes in the industry. There was a lot of really brilliant people. And it's interesting when you look at this story that a lot of people were saying, well, we were trying to keep, you know, young women away from him. And, you know, they were trying to do things, but within a system that didn't work. And I, I believe that we're in a much better place now in the industry. I believe that these stories coming out are very important to ensure that we keep the pressure and we keep improving. And so this is, uh, my ducky is being, um, he's being uh, militant and saying we need processes and systems in our beloved uh, entertainment industry to make sure this sort of things doesn't happen. Uh, and indeed in every industry. Thank you. Uh, Maureen? Yes. Oh, wait a minute. This oh. has got a prop. Right. She's put a shades on, which look yeah. actually on you, Maureen. They look absolutely, may I say, awesome. Uh, you look like a member <laughs> of Kastwerk. <laughs> um, is so, that um, it? <laughs> Words as well. What? That's it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I see you are looking like him. Oh, you're watching. You're watching. Mm. You, you should have popcorn. I'm watching. No, I'm I watching. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was yeah, an impression. Uh, and you were about to, yeah. you're uh, watching and eating your popcorn. <laughs> that wasn't, you wasn't doing, that wasn't predatorial behavior. That was just simply watching. Yeah, let's uh, let's see what happens. Um, uh, I'm going to stay with you, uh, Maureen. Um, Alex, I think, uh, well, she's the boss of Channel 4. Alex Ma Mahon, Mahoon? I don't know quite how you pronounce it. So. Mahon. Okay. Yeah, Mahon. She's, she's, she's of Irish heritage. Um, Sounds Irish yeah, to me, uh, yeah. She's a, she's a, she's a, well, and of course, this is this is a let's say uh, she stood up at the, uh, the the Royal Television Society's uh, a recent conference uh, to explain uh, the situation that um, that we find ourselves in with Russell Brand in particular. It was Channel Four dispatches and Sunday Times and Times that really led the investigation, which um, Claire uh, uh, knows a lot more around this. It was a four-year investigative journalist um, effort. So pretty, pretty deep, pretty serious. Um, um, and Alex is, is, is you know, one of those uh, fantastic, uh, you know, chief executives and senior female executives in the industry that really champions some good causes um, for for us, you know, females and also just for, um, you know, most areas of, of, of activity. So, um, yeah, so, so, so Alex, thumbs up. Two thumbs. Generally. Um, yeah. Yeah. As a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a female executive and just as a, an executive, a very well seasoned and vet, you know, veteran of the industry. So whatever she chooses to do across all her, the spectrum of her own activities in Channel 4, as well as uh, uh, broadly speaking, everything she touches is, 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 is she has a Midas touch. She has a sort of Midas touch, I think. Although I've been critical to some extent of her in the past about, come on, what have you done at Channel 4? Um, she's kind of like, you know, doing a few more things and pushing through more doors. So um, I wonder if she could be in the same class as Bob them. Iger <laughs> and they're both uh, up in front of you and you're giving a good old uh, bloody English ticket. She's not in the same class as Bob Iger. 
no, no, no. Oh, no, I think no. the question around Alex is is uh, is where she where she goes next. If indeed she goes, that's there's a, there's been there's been a lot of uh, well, there's been a few articles about whether maybe after seven years she might be looking to move. She obviously denied, denies it, but you know she would. Uh, so I'm I'm going to go with the quizzical Podmoji and wonder what will Alex do next. I'd be very curious to see. I saw her speak about the, uh, the the Russell Band and safety for women in the industry, and she's just like such an eloquent kind of grown-up person. And you just think, why why, why aren't these people uh, in our government <laughs> rather than the people we've got? Uh, these sort of intelligent, successful, well-rounded, articulate adult people. Uh, but maybe I suppose when you get in government, it's not as easy as that. But anyway, let's move on. All three media. All three media. Let's go to you, Claire. Author Media, very large uh, global production company, currently owned by jointly by Discovery and Liberty Global, and is up for sale. And expressions of interest are uh, expected anytime soon, and it will be interesting to see what happens. There aren't that many very large production companies that get up for sale. It'll be interesting to see if it goes to an industry player who wants to grow its market share, or whether it goes to a financial buyer. Uh, just, I don't know if Maureen has any theories that she'd like to share, but it, or not. But it, I'm just curious to see a very, very good production company. Lots of really good people working there. Very curious to see where it will end up in the process. Maureen, yeah, your thoughts? Very, yes, my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, very, very well run. Um, Jane Turton, who sits at the helm, you know, under her stewardship, is uh, a, a, excellent uh, franchises, and she, she's very well respected in the industry. I think, I, I think, I think it's uh, the catalyst for this process. Um, is, uh, is is driven by you know the, the one of the parties that's uh, Warner Brothers Discovery that has a significant debt, uh, uh, a significant mm-hmm. amount of debt sitting on its balance sheet, and it needs to look at core, non-core, and I think this is one that it believes that it probably can maximise its uh, you know some revenue extracting itself from that joint venture. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good it's a good asset. It's got you know it. it, it it will uh, it will attract a lot of uh, inquiries and people looking at it as Claire said from financial responses to strategics and strategics would mean you know similar companies and competitors so yeah yeah interesting so yeah watch the mm. space oh. yeah an interesting uh, you you really are taking this mime thing it's it's excellent you're speaking with your body as well as your voice uh, today Maureen it's impressive stuff uh, <laughs> I can see there's a tear in Claire's eye because it reminds her so much of home where there is a mime on every street corner. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Next time there'll be garlic. <laughs> I'm not one for European stereotypes, uh, as you know. So uh, that's good. Uh, right, finally, this is the last one, and it's an absolute doozy. We're going to love this one. Uh, so if you can guess uh, what the next one's going to be based on my accent, uh, we are going. I'm going to go to you, Maureen. Uh, the duck's already upside down. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to preempt Claire, so I'll go to Maureen first. So uh, the news, the incredible news that the youthful and still vibrant. Uh, and still um, romantically involved with, um, well, ladies mostly. Uh, yeah, Rupert Murdoch, the retirement thereof. Maureen, emoticon it, please. I mean, pogemon it. Oh, mine is, you know. So what, the press release this week has been that uh, he's stepping down. So Rupert Murdoch is stepping down and he's handed over the reins to uh, Lachlan, Lachlan Murdoch. He's uh, uh, one of his sons um, and to steer the ship. Uh, so I, 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 but but he's also said as part of his uh, uh, withdrawal is 
I'm withdrawing and I'm handing over to my son, but I'm actually, I'm going to be here every Friday afternoon making oh, sure that uh, you do your stuff. So you, you think I'm a person who's sort of, you know, have you done your homework? He'll be there saying, have you done your homework too? So I think he's still going to be around. Um, he's the sort of man that, you know, he can't give up work. So he'll be as active as they come. I think the interesting thing is going to be around how the four four kids, you know, uh, move forward, uh, because I think they have differing opinions as to how to um, run the uh, large organisation that is uh, that is Fox. So that's going to be Does really interesting. Does that remind you so, of any I'm, drama series that's recently been, uh, recently been very, very successful? I, I, I can't think of one. About. Yeah. Oh, I, it's... Um, no. yeah. That's right. It's uh... well. It's interesting because yeah, I think thinking about this drama series, I wouldn't be surprised if we found out quite soon that he has some serious health problems. I mean, he's ninety-two, ninety-three. Obviously, he's going to have health problems, but I think perhaps stronger ones that might have caused the shareholder problem if it had been disclosed while he was still uh, in charge. So, because, it, because it, as you said, I couldn't see him retiring before he killed over. Uh, otherwise, I have my doubts as to Lack, whether Lackland can actually hold the whole thing together. I don't know. Maybe I'm underestimating him, but I'm still waiting to see. And so it may be potentially, eventually the end of that empire or certainly a, a future breakup. I wouldn't, I would not be surprised. I think it would take a while, but we may be seeing the beginnings of the end. I, I don't think it'll be as impressive as what he's done, Rupert Murdoch has done over the last 40 years is, I don't think many people will shed tears if that happens. There, therefore, my duck is upside down. Oh, he's not even <laughs> croaked yet. But anyway, uh, Maureen. <laughs> So, so I, I, I agree. I think it's going to be really interesting because, I'm, and this is all second-hand information. This is all stuff I've read, uh, and that is, you know, with the four mate, four big kids who got ownership of the trust. You know, it, it sounds like Lachlan is sort of out there. James and Liz are sort of, you know, uh, joined at the hip, and Prue is the one that may be the deciding factor as to how this business is taken forward because she'll have the casting vote. So, and she's obviously always been out of. Uh, the, the business, but she's known to align with uh, the majority. So if the majority is the uh, is Liz, uh, is uh, Liz and James, then you know we, we've heard a lot about how they'd like to sort of break down or redirect the right wing sort of Fox organisation that it is. They've, they've been quite sort of open and vocal about how they've disliked the messaging, they've disliked the way it's uh, the way it's run. So um, so we'll see. Yeah, but I agree mm. with you, Claire. I don't know about Lackland whether or not. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. He's not had the chance yet to really prove himself, I guess. Yeah, he's been around a while. You know, after, you know, he's been a, a young buck for been, about 25 years now. No, but he's been, he's, been a, he's been around, but his dad actually pulls the strings. That's what I meant. Okay. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. has he really been able to, has he been, has, has he stabilised, has been taken off? I doubt it. Yeah. No, it really is, uh, it really is incredible. Uh, the uh, the parallels between that and that famous show, The Sopranos, uh, was it? No, not The Sopranos. <laughs> anyway, uh, just kidding. So uh, there we are. We've come to the end. That was a that was a mega uh, pop emoji. Actually, it's very good. The duck was ubiquitous. Uh, the props from Maureen plus her mimicry were absolutely superb, uh, and I enjoyed it uh, a lot. And um, Maureen is going through that very wobbly perspex box. <laughs> made of cling film one more time showing that uh, she's probably best suited to the world of media than she is to 
mime. So on that uh, bombshell, uh, we have to draw things to a close. We're out of time again. It flies when I'm uh, speaking to you two. Uh, Maureen, uh, I will see you soon with your juggling balls and we'll do um, six balls, two people. And uh, you're quite light. So if you're up for going on the shoulders, it might be a bit unprofessional in the office. But anyway, uh, we could probably try that. But for now, I bid you farewell and thank you, Maureen. Thank you, Oliver. It's been a pleasure. And Claire, you are super glamorous in your silver today. Um, I imagine you're off to some other high-powered meeting, knowing you. Uh, Have fun there. And thank you so much for your insights as ever. Bye-bye for now, Claire. Bye, Oliver. And as for the rest of you, we really appreciate you listening. Please like and subscribe, as Claire would say. Even leave us us feedback. We, We read it, we listen to it, and we sometimes enact it. Thanks for listening. See you soon on the next one. Bye for now.